in for that and she'll give you details she's not here today she's still in brisbane because our other daughter had a little boy so that was all exciting um so i'm double grandfather at the moment uh in the last four weeks there you go so ezekiel james what a great name <laughs> so i'm getting i'm getting my name out there i got a jeremiah james i got ezekiel james who knows i reckon they should have called my little granddaughter wouldn't that uh, that's got a ring to it Enelin james probably not anyway good to have you here this morning welcome to church um you know uh we've been just doing a, a series uh, talking in regards to making families healthier um uh, you know the reality is as, as families and all those relationships that we have with one another in our families and maybe in the greater family of god in the body of christ uh there's always uh there's it's never a perfect uh never a perfect thing is it but there's always opportunity to build and grow and develop and to say god it, um, i just need more uh, of what i can do and how i can do it better and so this morning i, I wanted to because a couple of weeks ago we just looked at ephesians 5 and 6 four behaviors that are really good to have in the within the family unit um and then last week we just talked about marriage and i gave you a couple of uh, insights into uh, i suppose just uh the relationship that I've had over these last 34 years has been wonderful. But this week, I just wanted to make uh, talk about parenting and making parenting doable. Um, there is no perfect parent. Everybody said, yeah, okay. <laughs> just like there's no perfect child. <laughs> but the reality is, is that I, I suppose over my lifetime, I pray that I've always wanted to glean, uh, I've uh, read books, well, actually, Michelle reads the books and she tells me all about it. That's often the case. Uh, and I get, yep, that's a good thing. I need to apply that. Or, you know, you, you, you just read the Word of God and you get some incredible thoughts and principles how to do it. But the Bible says a lot about parenting. Jesus himself actually de uh, declared some pretty important things about parenting. And I'd like to draw your attention to John chapter 5, verses 18 to 26. And um, John chapter 5, 18 to 26, it's one of these times when Jesus is making a statement about his father, okay? He's making a statement about his heavenly father. Uh, throughout Jesus' life on earth, here for those 33-odd years, well, certainly in the latter, last three years of his life, he upset a number of people. Uh, it was obviously the religious ones that he upset the most. And uh, one of the things that Jesus said was, I have a... I'm the son of my, is a heavenly father. I have a heavenly father. And, and uh, for him to say that was to literally be saying that I am, I have, um, uh, there's, I'm God, I'm God, I'm the son of God. And it, uh, and it upset the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. And one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons Christ was eventually murdered and taken to the cross is, uh, is because of this truth. In principle, he declared that he is uh, the Son of God, and, he, and, he's, and God in heaven was his heavenly Father. He had an earthly adopted father, he had an earthly mum, but he had a Father in heaven. And so, this is what Jesus is talking about, John chapter 5, 18 to 26, and he says this, For this reason they tried all the more to kill him, talking about the religious leaders, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, oh my, um, he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with who? God. Jesus gave them this answer. So obviously there's other context of scripture around this whole, but we're reading these uh, five, four verses. Jesus gave them this answer. 
Verily I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can, only, he can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleases to give it. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 18 to 21, that is, not 18 to 26, 21. So we see that Jesus here uh, speaks in glowing terms of his Father. Okay, he talks about his relationship with his Father. People did not uh, appreciate that, uh, the religious leaders, as they said, and wanted him dead. But, um, uh, you know, this morning, um, as I just talk about this, we can see out of this passage, Jesus actually talked several thoughts and principles about his relationship with his father that we can glean from um, that we could take yeah that's what needs to happen in this parenting child relationship as well it's a powerful positive testimony uh, to how we can conduct family life and relationship between mums and dads and children and so um, some of us are parents today that's cool some of you might say well I'm I'm not a parent anymore but you've been a parent or maybe you're a grandparent today. Maybe you're a single mum, single dad. Maybe you're a blended family. Maybe you've never had parents that were that good, okay? So for you to even think about parenting is, is maybe a little difficult. I appreciate and respect that, uh, that the parents maybe weren't there for you. Uh, maybe, um, you know, you've been a parent, but your children um, turned away or whatever's happened. Uh, you may say, how could this ever help? But I'd, can I just t- tell you, that, you know, if we've never had parents, and I, I'm, I'm thankful that the Word of God says God can be a father to the fatherless, hey? He can be a parent to the pa- those who've never had what would be maybe good parenting. And, you know, so I pray that out of this today, that we would glean, uh, all of us, something powerful in how we do life and how we communicate with just people in general and how we do our relationships The first thing I want to talk about here is because Jesus says in verse 19, he says this, I'll just remind you, the son can do nothing by himself, he can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus was saying, um, my father was a great example. That's what he's saying. Whatever, whatever my father does, I'm going to do. My father was a great example. Now you may say, well, of course he was, he was God. He could nothing, be nothing but a great example. But the reality is, if we draw, bring that back to us and we say, well, I can't live to that standard, you're not meant to. You just need to, just need to do what you could do as parents sometimes. We just need to keep on moving forward. But we can tap into the great example. <laughs> we can have the great example speak into our hearts. And Jesus was saying, you know, my parents, my father was a great example. And isn't that true? How many times in, on this life have you ever heard someone say, he's just or she's just or he's just like his parents? Or he's just like his father or he's just like his mother or she's just you know, like the parents? Uh, you know, many times. Sometimes we look at newborn babies and we go, oh, they do just like the father. Which can be, you know, a compliment or <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> um, the truth is, it can be a wonderful compliment when someone says that, or it can be a little, it can be a bit of an insult sometimes, because maybe the children are not doing so well. I've found whether I like it or not, to be honest, I've, I've been an example to my children. Whether I like it or not, I've been an influence upon their lives. Um, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't get away from that reality. 
Um, I'm an example to them. Um, I didn't get to choose whether I'm an example or a role model, but this is what you can choose. You can choose, to, um, you can choose the kind of example that you'll be. You can choose the kind of example, whether it's you're a youth leader today to younger people, whether it's a parent to your children, whether whatever it may, a grandparent, uh, whether it's in your work situation when you're mentoring people, you can choose the example that you want to be. Not, you can't choose the reality. You're an influencer. Every person here today is an influencer and an example to somebody. You may say, no, I'm not. Yeah, you, you'd be surprised how many people watch your life. People today, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you go to work, you'll be surprised how many people watch your life. You know, I used to work at the power station many, many years ago, and it's interesting, if I ever mucked up, they'd soon tell me what I'd done wrong. You're supposed to be that Christian. They used to call me a name at the power station. There was an evangelist who's on television still today, Jimmy Swagger. They used to say, hey, Jimmy. And at the time... <laughs> It wasn't too flattering because poor Jimmy had a little bit of an issue happened there. It's praise God for the grace of God. But anyway, I'm saying you're an influence. You're a, you're a person that people are watching today. And we can't choose, uh, we can't choose where you're going to be that, but you can choose the example that you'll be. So, uh, you know, as parents, we have a choice of what kind of example we're going to be. And Jesus says, you know what? My father was a great example. Um, and you know uh, what my mum and dad I pray that my children would say that about me. Is as imperfect as I've been, me and my wife. I pray that my children could say, "Well, they're not. They're a great example." I think that's a great moment for a parent, isn't it? It's a great moment for a person, a mentoring person, or someone who's a boss. See, our, our sons observe the way fathers. Here's, here's the thought: my, our sons, and I haven't got any. I've got some son-in-laws, uh, but they observe the way our fathers treat women. So if you have sons, that's incredibly important because they'll take their cues from, what, from you, from the example that you set. Our daughters, so often our daughters in a lot of cases look for men that are like their father. Unfortunately, even if they have a bad father, they don't look for a man, but they unfortunately can choose someone because they're so used to a certain pattern of abuse or lifestyle. And that's sad. That, that can be really good or really sad. But we've got to be aware of that. Um, my daughters have said to me, often when they were choosing their husbands and two of them are married, they said, we were looking for some qualities that we loved about you, Dad. And I was so, so, uh, so touched by that. So touched by that. I, um, you know, I, we've got to be aware over the years of the examples we set, mums and dads, haven't we? Or whoever, mentors or, or grandparents. Because they're always observing, always aware. And you know, so over the years, I've learned some little things that I need to do that just, just set some things really well in my, my daughter's hearts. I've got three daughters, and um, they're all kind of growing up and adults now, but, but the reality is I, I learned over the years some of the things I need to do. You know, just set some examples so they know about what the, their future needs to look like or the man they need to marry or the, for, for um, uh, you know, the guys, the woman that they need to marry. And, and, and I always remember Valentine's Day when my daughters were growing up and I'd buy Michelle a bunch of flowers, but I'd buy my, each of my daughters a, a, you know, a, a stem of what, whether it was a rose or whatever it was. And I'd say, I just want you to know this is how men treat women. And I'd give it to them. And it set something in place that they, they wanted to find someone who was going to treat them well. And I think that's a wonderful, it's just a little example 
But you know, Dad, you can do that. Uh, just the simplest of things, isn't it? But treat them with respect. You know, I used to, I, I, well, not used to, I tried to still do it, <laughs> open the door, you know, for Michelle. Um, you know, when we're not rushing out the door trying to get somewhere. But, you know, just take the time, it just open the door. I, and I think it just, and my girls saw that as we were growing up. Uh, just the example. I didn't always get it perfect. Do you know, I've discovered men today that the best thing you can do for your children is love your wife. Uh, I've discovered vice versa as well. The best thing that wives can do for their children is love the husband. It just sets something and it sets a confidence in the children's heart and it sets an example of where they may go in their future. And, you know, we have an opportunity to do that. And, you know, as a parent, I've discovered that really you've got to get four relationships right if you're going to be a good example to your kids. And the first relationship you've got to get right is your relationship with yourself. You've got to have some uh, understand your own identity. And, and the Bible just talks about having your identity in Christ. Just being confident in who you are in Jesus Christ. The second relationship that you really got to sort out is, is um, that you need to get your relationship right with other people. Because you can't, you, can't, you, know, you can't hide some things from kids sometimes. I'll see if you're upset or unforgiving towards others. And, and so you've got to get your relationship right with others. The third thing is you've got to get your relationship right with stuff. Oh, our families have destroyed themselves because they've just been so much involved, so embracing, so engaged, so much wanting. I've got to have this. I've got to have the second. Whatever it may be, I've got to have these things in my life. And children pick up on that and they do the same thing. I remember a young man, I was a friend of, I still am today, and his father had such a... How would you say? Obsession with his car. He hardly took it out of the garage and he would... And he would clean it every week and just drive it back. He'd drive it maybe once a week, a couple of kilometers and put it back. I thought, what is the use of having a car if you don't drive it? <laughs> and you know what? I discovered one day that my, my friend had taken on the same uh, mindset as his father because he had this car and someone leaned against his car. We're at a barbecue with him. Someone leaned against his car and as someone leaned, he got upset. He, he screamed and said, get off my car, don't touch it. And I thought, father, that... I thought, wow, he's doing what his father does. I thought, God, help me to learn from that. I'm still good friends with him. But I just saw something there and I thought, you know what? Sometimes when we don't have a right relationship with the stuff that we own, we put it in the right priority and realize that there's far greater things than these things of this world. Is that right? Because it'll be an example to what our kids grow up and do. You might have stuff, but don't, don't, don't let stuff have you. See, the fourth relationship I find that you've got to make sure you get right is your relationship with God as parents. Because your children will pick up on that. Because, you, you know, there's one thing I've learned is I can't, I can't be any different at home to what I... I can't be any different here on this stage than I am at home because they'll pick up on that. And if there's one saving grace for my, my girls, I think it's been the fact that I've generally been able to do that okay. Just be real here and real there. That's so important. Our kids pick up on our relationship with God. You can't say to your kids, read the Bible and pray if you're not doing it. Because they don't want to know, they don't want to know anything from you until you genuinely example it before them. I actually don't think I've ever actually said that my girls read the Bible and pray. I've just they've just woken up. Those early mornings, and there's dad in, in the lounge room having a bit of a, a QT with God, you know, quiet time, or ranting and raving and walking around the house or whatever, you know, letting the Holy Ghost in. 
but you know, they've just observed it. And, and, and I sometimes look at them and say, I wonder why I, I, I never told them to read the Bible and pray. And, and now I finally got it. It's because they actually saw someone doing it. <laughs> okay, let's move on. The second thing Jesus said, the thec- second thing that Jesus says about his father here, in John 5.20, he says, the father loves the son. The father, 520, the father, it's, it's a longer verse, the loves the son and shows him all things, and he himself does those things. But it basically says, the father loves the son. Jesus says, you know what? Jesus said about his father, uh, my father loves me. What a great testimony of a parent. My kids love me. You know, I reckon that's a great, great thing. You know, as I grew up as a child, I have to be honest, in my younger years and teenage years, um, I had a dad that, in actual fact, there was a generations, generations of Aussies who, who'd never told their children, I think that they, they said, they didn't use those words, I love you. Some of us are in my age group here, generation, you know the reality that never said that you've been loved. Maybe you have, that's cool. But I, I, I suppose as I grew up, I started to realize this and, and I got to the age of 40 and I said, enough is enough. We went and, you know, look, my dad, let's be honest, my, uh, my dad was a dad who cared for me. He spent time with me. He kept me, he protected me. He looked after me. He, I, I, I could see evidence that he loved me. He just never said it. There's something about verbalizing that that's really powerful, isn't there? Out of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. And so at the age of 40, it's 40, like I'm 40 and I'm thinking, I've had enough. I need, who's going to make the first move here? And so I did and I told my dad I loved him. Do you know what? He responded responded back to me and I was so excited so excited here was the moment I'd been kind of waiting for and I had to make the move that's cool you know if you're a child here today don't get down on your parents how about you make the move and you know my dad responded and he said that to me and I was you know I was I I conducted my grandmother's funeral what a privilege it was many years ago my dad was 70 and um i was at that that 40 i was at 40 um age bracket and and um after the funeral it was his mum it was his mum so my dad's mum and my dad came up to me and there's a lot of people that day come up to me and said you know what i've just uh hey good job on the funeral thank you for what you did thank you for the words you said it was this great funeral because i love my grandmother she was a great grandma always always positive always happy uh always done wonderful things and um, and all you know, a few people come up and just affirm me and congratulate me. I was very thankful for that. But my dad came up to me and he looked me in the eye and he says, "I'm proud of you. You did so well today. That's my mum you, you buried, and I'm just proud of you." Of all the people who spoke to me today, everybody else's affirmation kind of faded, but that one has stayed in my heart forever. How powerful is parenthood? It stays in the heart of your children when you affirm them, when you encourage them. Because, you know, like Jesus, he says, my father loves me. Do you know, do you know the love? Um, as a parent, you, you might say, well, where do I find this love to give to my child? Because I, I struggle to give it. I tell you what, it's the God of love that gives you the strength to be able to love. Hey, if we tap into him, it's amazing how much love he's got for us to give. You may say, well, how do you love the unlovely child? Well, you might be surprised if you just start to take a little step down that road, how much your child might be affected by that. I know there's discipline involved. I know that I'm not an idiot. I understand all those things. You know, I've been there when I've just given my child a whack in a controlled manner. Um, 
So don't, don't, you know, rush away. Police will arrest me after the service for hitting my child. How much rubbish have we got in this world today? Hey, anyway, you can come and beat me up if you don't believe in beating, um, smacking children. Anyway, but anyway, we won't go there. But I remember as I would give a little smack and, I, and I'd spend time with them and I'd say, you know, what have you done wrong? And they'd say, oh, I'm sorry, Daddy, I've done this. I want you to know that I love you. Oh, yes, Daddy, I love you too. That's okay. Give us a hug and I'd pray with them. I tell you what, it kept my children safe. I was able to discipline them and love and care for them and honestly. Ah, hallelujah. Have I got anybody offside just yet? Come on. No? I was going to talk to you about the way you beat your children. No, 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 it's okay. Ah. <laughs> uh, You know, God the Father knew how important it was for His Son to know how much He was loved. You know, you, you know there was a time on the, there's this passage of Scripture in uh, Mark chapter 9, and, and Jesus was on this mountain. It was called the Mount of Transformation, Transfiguration. And it was a time it was quite miraculous. Moses and Elijah came down, spiritually speaking, came down and stood at Jesus, and they were communicating. And um, three disciples were with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And, um, and, and uh, Peter was all excited, as Peter often did. He had foot and mouth disease. And so he said to, he said to uh, Jesus, oh, let's build three tabernacles, a little huts. Let's put some tents up and let's, let's camp right here. This is life. This is happening. This is brilliant. And Jesus, and then from, from heaven came this voice, which was an affirming voice. And, and, and God spoke audibly. And I mean, Peter, James, and John just went flat on the, flat on the ground slain there and they said and God's voice said this is my son and whom I'm whom I'm well pleased I love and listen to him and so here we see God the father audibly affirming his son I think that's a powerful thing I think it's a powerful thing if God the father needed to audibly affirm his son in front of at least three disciples uh, why wouldn't we as parents continue to affirm and see the power of what we speak to our children? You see, sometimes we've got to be careful, uh, families today or, or, or bosses or leaders, that we don't ever just talk to our, our um, employees or our children or whoever it may be every time just because they do something wrong. But what about you just tell them when they do something right? What about you change the, the, the way you do that? How do you, how do you speak affirmation? It, you know, because it's easy to see all the bad about them. Why don't you just see, start to see some of the right about them? Why don't you just go and observe them, catch them doing something good and affirm them for that? Um, I think love is like that. This is, uh, I pray that, you know, that our children, when asked the question, uh, you know, what are your parents like? They say, hey, my parents love me. I think that would be a great, wonderful thing. Um, you know, so important. Here's the third thing, and today, uh, just so you're aware, we're going to actually share communion together as a church, um, So, we, because there's some things I want to share around that, but my third point leads into this and in sharing, so just, just uh, sit and relax as the people hand out the communion this morning, but communion is a powerful testimony, if nothing else, of this incredible love that the Father had for the Son and the Son had for the Father. Because even though God sent Jesus to the cross, it was out of love for Him and love for us that He did it, okay? It was out of love for humanity. But we see in this scripture, in verse 20, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these, so that you may be amazed. 
Can I say this? My father encourages me to go further. That's what Jesus says. My father encourages me to go further than I've ever been before. My, my father encourages me um, to do greater things. It says here that uh, even greater works than these and you, that you'll be amazed. And Jesus declared it. In other words, the father isn't just boasting about what he's done, but he's encouraging his son to go even further and accomplish even greater things than he's ever done. You know, what a great thing when a child says, my biggest fan is my mum. My greatest supporter is my dad. I think that's great, isn't it? And up to the st- time when they get married, that all that time right up to their marriage, that married day, the parents are their greatest support and greatest fan. Because, you know, when they get married, then their husband or their wife can kind of take over that position somewhat. But, you know, you've you got to appreciate um, that kids want to be uh, affirmed, don't they? As I said before. And God describes himself... If you look in Scripture, God describes Himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In other words, He's a generational God. And so, so what He's declaring is, He's saying one generation trains up the next generation, that trains up the next generation, that trains up the next generation. You know, we sing that song, you know, a blessing upon my children, children's children. See, God's, God's just not thinking my generation here. He's not just thinking your generation today. He's thinking generations ahead. And as he thinks of those generations, he's saying, come on, you're the ones who can impart into the next generation. You're the ones who can affirm them. You're the ones who can be their cheerleaders. I uh, always loved it when I walked through my child's school. My daughters went to the same school. And as they were, um, thank you very much. As they were uh, going to school, Michelle and I would go to school sometimes, or we'd be going to a meeting in the school. And you know what? It's interesting but all, every time we'd go through the school, um, we weren't known as James and Michelle Hewitt. We were known as Gabriel's parents or Simone's parents or Lydia's parents. You know, when I walked into that school, I lost my identity and I couldn't be prouder. It's because I was, I was known because of the way they lived their lives. And they went far further than me in, in school. They were school captains and sports captains and all that type of thing. I never reached that level, and that's cool. I don't have to be. But, you know, the reality is, is I love the fact that we'll be known, uh, that I'm known because of what my girls, the way they live their lives. And, and, and uh, I, I just was so excited about that. And I think that's what we need to be, is the next generation that continues, that generation needs to train up, encourage, and affirm the next generation in the things that are right before God. And you know what? It'll be, it'll continue to go on. It's amazing what God can do generation after generation if we continue as parents, as mentors, as whoever it may be, and to aspire the next generation in the things of God. And as a church, maybe we'll be a church that empowers the next generation. May we never get upset when younger people are getting more opportunities than we are. Because, because we need to be the ones who are their cheerleaders. We need to be the ones standing on the sidelines saying, keep going, you're doing well. You know, we never be threatened by a younger person, but let's realize their success is an indication sometimes of an older person's input and affirmation into their lives. And I think that's exciting. It's exciting. I'm a hopeless lover of sporting events that my daughters were involved in. You, could, you couldn't get me away from them. 20 years of netball. And I never got bored. Some of you parents are here, are you like that? 20 years of soccer, 20 years of netball, 20 years of football, 20, whatever it's been, you've done some years on the sideline. 
I discovered that my girls weren't looking for a parent to scream and yell and tell the coach where to go or where the referee to go, but they were looking for a parent just to be present. Just to be present. I missed a dozen, I think, games in 20 years. I actually worked it out that I attended 220 netball games. Because <laughs> you get about, you know, you only get about, you know, 15 or so games in a season. You do the maths. But I tell you, every time I was excited to be there, uh, I was excited to be a part of it. And uh, I just was excited to know that they knew that I was there. And, that, that, and I think God stands on the sidelines. Well, in actual fact, he, more than that, he wants to be, he, it's amazing. God may stand on the sideline and cheer us on, but he actually gives us this coach called the Holy Ghost that wants to live in your life to help you play the game really well. His presence his, his love is manifest through the Holy Spirit in your life. And he, whether you're a parent today or a child or a grandparent or a single mom or a single dad or a blended family or you've, you've had a disgusting and just terrible upbringing, I want you to know there's a God who cheers you on today. He wants to live in you and with you. You know, um, you can say, well, we've messed up too much. I tell you what, nothing's unredeemable. Nothing's unredeemable. You see, we can change our past. We can't change my past, but we can certainly change our future depending on the decisions you make today as an adult and how we conduct our relationships with people. Jesus um, had some words, had some things that happened around that last week that he was in Jerusalem before he was crucified. And there was pretty, uh, pretty amazing comments he made. He had this meal with his disciples and um, it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 22 and 24, they were having a meal. And then after the meal, they had this Jesus instituted, what we call communion. It's, it's a word that means relationship, in, intimacy with God. But they, Jesus stopped and then he said, they were eating and Jesus took the bread. Now, this was different to the meal. He took the bread and he just, he, he blessed it and he broke it, it says in Mark chapter 14. And he gave it to them and said, take and eat. This is my, uh, this is my body. And they're like, what? <laughs> they would have been thinking, what is he talking about? And then when he, he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, it says in verse 23, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And then he said to them, this is my blood of the new promise or new covenant, which is shed for many. And they would have been thinking, okay, we're listening. Can you kind of fill in the gaps here? Um, of course, they understood after Jesus went to the cross and everything unfolded that way. They understood it all then. But if we were then to go to Mark chapter, just a few verses down in verse 32 of Mark 14, they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Do you know what Gethsemane means? The place of squeezing. I've been there. It, it's this olive grove. And that's where they take the olives and they put them in this, um, on, on this big round table in a big rock, um, like a round wheel, would roll around and squeeze the olives and all the juice would come out and get olive oil. It's a little bit more of the process than that. But this is the place where Jesus was praying 
with his disciples. So the three disciples again, um, Peter, James, and John, and, and he was struggling with the reality. He wanted to do his father's will. He wanted to go to the cross because he knew it was for the sake of humanity. It was the forsake of you and me 2,000 plus years later that we would benefit from it. But, he, but at the same time, he was struggling with the reality of dying such a cruel death on a cross, the, the torture that he would have to go through because of it. He knew what was coming. And so he's struggling. It's the place of squeezing. My, my heart is to do my Father's will, but my body is saying, oh, it's the flesh and the spirit realm. It battles. Don't we all face that at times? It's a squeezing. I want to do the right thing, but oh, I like doing this fleshly thing. I don't want the flesh to be hurt. And Jesus found this. And so he went, it says, um, I came to a place called Gethsemane, the place of squeezing. And he says to the disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. He began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. If it was possible, don't let this happen. If it's possible, God, don't let this death happen. And then he said, Abba, Father, what an incredible intimate terminology he used in regards to his heavenly father. Right there, Abba, is literally means dad, daddy or dad. It's not many, nowhere do we see much of Jesus using this terminology except here at the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of squeezing. When he reached out, he said, Father, Dad, I need you more than anything. I need you more than anything right now if I'm to go through this. And he said this, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Have you ever realized when Jesus says, take this cup from me, he's referring to to the, this hours earlier when he was having the last meal with his disciples and he says, this is my cup. This cup is the covenant or the new promise. This is my, represents my blood. It was referring to that same cup and now he's referring it. Take that cup from me. I don't want to go through with this, but not my will, but your will be done. And we see Jesus, um, the word cup means my lot in life. It quite literally means my lot or my destiny. So Jesus was saying, this is my destiny. I just don't want to go there. But God, in the end, it's your will, not mine. And he went there. So Jesus Christ, Jesus' destiny was to die for humanity. So humanity could live. Jesus' destiny was to die for humanity. So humanity could be forgiven of sin. No longer was it going to be the sacrifice of a lamb in a temple. No, it was going to be the sacrifice once and for all of a human, of a human being who was fully man, fully God. So that sins could be forgiven. Now today you may say, oh, is that significant? Is that really significant? I want you to know that it's incredibly significant. We live free because of the forgiveness of sins. We live in grace and mercy because of the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus has given us so much. All because um, uh, he was loved by his Abba Daddy, his Father. Loved him and loved us. And said, this is the way. This is the way it's going to be. And Jesus hung there on a cross for humanity. And he gave us an opportunity. And you know, that's the, whole, that's the whole message of what they call salvation. Receiving Jesus into our lives. When we receive the, the, the very fact of what he did for us. Could we today just take a moment. As we just consider, here's the cup. This is your destiny. Are you willing to receive it? This is the cup. It's not the literal cup. It's, and there's no, nothing, the, the only thing significant about this little bit of incredibly untasteful 
not very tasty wafer on the top and, and a little bit of, of grape juice in there. It, the only significance of this moment is the fact that it represents and it makes us remember what Christ's done for us, that it was His body that was broken and His blood that was shed. But if Jesus says, He says to the disciples around the, that last supper, this is the cup, this, this wine represents my blood in this cup. And then He said to the Garden of Gethsemane, if it's possible, take this cup. But He knew it was God's will, not His will. And today we take a cup. And if you take this cup, may I challenge you today. You don't, it's not like you've been, you're some perfect being, but I challenge you just to make your peace with God. And, and, and as we take it, to be sober in our thinking in regards to, God, you've, Jesus, you've done so much. In actual fact, when we die or Jesus returns, whichever one comes first, you will be so thankful that you know Jesus Christ. <laughs> in a blinking, uh, uh, what is it, the blink of an eye before God and facing the reality of your past. But when we know Jesus, God says, hey, it's wiped clean through the blood of Jesus because you know what He's done. Because of the cup of what Jesus did for us. And, and literally, this does not save us, <laughs> okay? Just taking it. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a belief in our heart and a confession of our mouth that we receive Jesus. But this today represents the realities of what He wants for you and me today. Salvation and wholeness and purpose and destiny in Him. So will you take the cup today? Not just this one, but will you receive Jesus, accept Jesus, and live for Christ, live for God? That's what I think it comes down to. So today, let me pray today. As we come to this moment, Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you. This is a day that is, you may say, is like any other day. But, yet, but you know, every day is a new day for you. Every day is an opportunity for us to have freshness and knowledge of you and to walk with you. And today, Lord, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came, that you gave us your very best. God, you gave us your son, Jesus, and he died on a cross. And in dying, he shed his blood, and, and that blood represented the new promise of salvation for us, because we for, could be forgiven. And that body that was broken when he, on that cross meant that his body was broken so that we may have life. So that we don't have to face the torment of hell, but we can have the beauty of heaven when we die, but also have life today on earth abundantly. So we thank you today for what you've done, Jesus. We thank you for your everything that you gave for us and we celebrate that and we thank you today and we receive your love and your mercy and grace you know if you're here today and you've never received jesus christ before we partake if you've never received jesus christ in your, in your life if you've never confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart in jesus you know you can pray a simple prayer it can go like this heavenly father i receive you what your gift of jesus christ and him dying on the cross for me I believe Jesus died so that I might be forgiven of my sin. And I receive it into my heart. And I accept it. And I thank you that you can forgive me of sin. Help me to live for you. Not live in my past or not live with my sin. But to walk away from that and walk for you. I need that and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's as simple as that. So how about today? We peel back this and we just say thank you. And we remember 
and we celebrate what Jesus has done, remembering. He said, as you do this, remember, as we take the bread and as we take the cup, let's eat and drink in remembrance of Him. just stand together and we're going to just sing this beautiful song again and the team can come and we just be thankful today and just remember and believe and receive thank you Lord Jesus be sincere may, may, may your belief just be pure before him I believe in your Lord Jesus I receive it today there's no other way the world has got lots of so called answers but Jesus is the only answer is the only way the truth of life hey thanks team not tried so hard to see it Took me so long to believe it. 